Hello, my name is Michael Coplitz, and I have been a pastor for over 20 years. I am an avid biblical researcher, and I do share that work in my sermons. This sermon is part of my series titled, Worship by Subject. Every passage of the Bible has a message to it. Now, you may want to pull out your Bible and follow along. I use the New American Standard 1995 Bible translation. However, any Bible you have will do. So let's come together to hear the word of the Lord and a message from that reading. This message is from John 5, verses 1 through 18, and the title is Religious Authority. So let's get started. This narrative is another one of Jesus' healing signs in the Gospel of John. Now, we have several of them in here, and each of them has a very specific, special message for us. Each of these messages was important for the people in Jesus' day, but also vital for us. So why don't we look at one of these messages that you can get from this story? Now, quickly, I say one of these messages because all of the gospel writers were Semitic writers. They always put nuances in their narratives so that you would be driven in different directions. However, the main point would always be the same. I know that sounds a little bit odd, but that's because we learned the Greek method of learning in the, and the Greek method of writing. So what Jesus was trying to say about the Sabbath, the book of Genesis tells us that God created the universe in six days. Now, it could be debatable because some people say the creation was actually seven days. That is true if you count the seventh day of rest as a part of creation. The number seven in the scripture usually symbolizes the completion of something. Therefore, considering creation to be seven days, including the Sabbath, works well. However, the Hebrew people didn't have the seventh day of rest until they were in the wilderness in Sinai. While they were in captivity in Egypt, the Egyptians worked the, the people to death. When Israel traveled the Sinai, Moses instituted the seventh day of rest. Over the centuries, the Sabbath had become a day of worship to the Lord. According to the Hebrew calendar, the Sabbath day is Saturday. The early Jewish Christians worshiped Jesus and God on the Hebrew calendar's seventh day, Saturday. So you might ask, why are we not worshiping God on Saturday instead of Sunday? The simple answer is that the Roman religion, the Mithras cult, celebrated the rising of Mithras from the grave on Sundays, the seventh day of the Greek calendar. This led to a lot of confusion at the beginning of Christianity, and Emperor Constantine declared that the worship for Jesus would now be on Sunday. There were actually small groups of Christians that worshipped on Saturday, and one of them that comes to mind today is the Christian Adventist Church. An interesting aside for the moment, 
was when I was growing up in Rosedale, Queens, located in New York City, the synagogue where my grandfather was a founder worshiped God on Saturday. At the beginning of this century, the synagogue was sold. The group that bought the synagogue was the Christian Adventist Church of Laurelton, New York. That was nice to know because it allowed worship to God on the same day that the building was built and intended for. Okay, that being said, a little personal thing. Uh, let's get back to the gospel story. So Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day. We can look at the circumstances of the healing. We could look at the fact that the man was a professional beggar. We could look at the fact that this changed his life and profession. We could go through a number of other different areas. I want to focus on the reaction that Jesus got from the religious authorities and leaders who happened to be there. They were not very happy that Jesus cured a man on the Sabbath. The interesting question that should pop into your mind is, what's the problem? Why can't a person be healed on the Sabbath? The typical commentary reaction is that the Jewish leaders were trying to trap Jesus in a conspiracy or heresy, and then they'd have an easy way to get rid of him. Obviously, Jesus curing someone on the Sabbath was a pretty good clue that he disagreed with what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were talking and teaching about. By the time of Jesus' life, there were numerous laws and regulations written by religious leaders and authorities that governed the life of the people. What's important to remember about Jesus' day is that when the religious authorities and leaders barked orders, the people obeyed. Even though it was clear that the religious authorities and leaders did not walk the walk of their talk, the common people had to do what they said. It doesn't quite work that way, does it? Well, let me give you an example. About 12 years ago, the Central Pennsylvania Conference of the United Methodist Church passed a resolution against the lottery system. The conference declared that its members were not to play the lottery and that it would be sinful to do so. In Pennsylvania, the lottery was originally created to help low-income seniors with, to get medications. Was the Central Pennsylvania Conference saying we shouldn't help low-income seniors? Actually, that didn't matter because the majority of church members of the Central Pennsylvania Conference did not pay any heed to that statement. Why did the church think that it had the power and authority over the lives of its members? Well, you know, that day is gone. And as I mentioned earlier, in Jesus' day, the people did follow the religious authorities and leaders and what they said and how they said we should live or they should live. The problem with these laws and regulations prevalent in Jesus' day is that they added nothing to the people's spirituality. These laws and regulations did not help people to get closer to God. The purpose of religion is to help people come closer to God and to learn how to express their spirituality. Now, that's a general statement. And there's a lot of tangents and other things I can add to it. But I believe that the central core of religion 
is to help people get closer to God. So when the Hebrew leaders and authorities in Jesus' day went off the rails, actually this was building up for some time, and started being intrusive in people's lives, the problem became that the people didn't worship God as a spiritual father, that God is, but rather as a materialistic God. Why do I say that? It is because the rules and regulations required bringing of sacrifices and gifts to the temple in Jerusalem, material things. The religious leaders and authorities convinced the people if they did not bring gifts to God, there would be that God would not be for them. God is spirit, not material. God is interested in spiritual awareness and a relationship with every one of us. He gives us the material we need for our physical bodies and gives us what we need to do to live. God does not want sacrifices of material, grains, animals, and even money. Whoops. I stepped into a landmine, didn't I, with that last statement? Because the church does push tithing. We like to say that God gives us the gifts and talents to produce financial rewards and that God gets the first 10% of those rewards. From the beginning of its inception, the church has pushed this idea. And perhaps in the early church, the people did give. Well, actually, in the book of Acts, we know that people joined the Christian community. They gave everything that they had to the work of the apostles. That's not the way it works today, is it? That's not the way it works today. Being a pastor in the United Methodist Church, I can tell you from the material that I get from the General Conference that United Methodist members who attend church give about 1.8% of their income to the church. There's an old motto that we use that goes something like this. The church has all the money it needs. The problem is it's in the members' pockets. I have been a part of a committee that went through the conference, and I was told to tell people that tithing and giving money to the church is a spiritual matter. The bishop wanted every church to provide him with every dime expected of them so that he can do what he wanted to do. Bearing this in mind, this is my opinion of how things worked. I asked the question, what do you do if a church congregation does not feel they should give all the money to, that the conference requires? Wow, I got a massive lecture about we're only going to talk about spirituality. I must tell you that churches that did not give 100% of the required money to the conference did feel the pain the bishop could inflict. I'm sure you're shaking your head saying this is wrong. Unfortunately, I target, I tangent it off a little bit here. Let me say that when you give a donation, a tithe to your local church, you are supporting the spiritual awareness of God to the community you are a part of. Unfortunately, everything costs money. I'm not just talking about like salaries for the pastor or the secretary or some other things but you also have the uptake of your building, like cutting grass. 
if the congregation members do not give the money for the upkeep of the church, the church is going to close. It is unfortunate that we live in a materialistic world that requires currency to survive. But if you want your church to remain open, you have to financially support it. That's the real truth about giving. I could go on and on about this, but I want to stop right there because there's something more important in this message than going on about giving to the church. I'll be honest with you, in my 22 years of ministry, I only gave one sermon on giving. And that's because the ad board demanded that I do it. It is a gruesome topic to attend to. Let me get back to the lottery ticket, which is the real point here. Jesus was saying to the religious leadership that they were being intrusive into people's lives. They were dictating what you could do and what you couldn't do. Then Jesus came along and said that as long as what you're doing is in compliance with God, the laws that he gave us, the Torah, it's okay to do it. In other words, Jesus was saying, we don't need a governing body to tell us how to live. Instead, we need a community to come together who will share a time of worship and learning about God. When we come together for Sunday worship in today's culture, we should learn something about God. That doesn't happen in most churches. The biggest complaint I ever got about my sermons was that people didn't want to know about the history or the culture or the circumstances of what the scripture was saying. Instead, they wanted cutesy stories from anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes so that they would leave church feeling really good. Let me tell you, that's not the purpose of the sermon. The purpose of the sermon is to teach you something about the Bible. Because, why? And I pause. Most people don't go to Sunday school or study the scripture. And to challenge you to live following the way Jesus teaches us. As a pastor, I never dictated how people should live. I might talk about ways and means and how they are within and without the scope of God's laws. I strongly believe that we all emulate Jesus in how we do things and think about people. But I do not feel I was ever given the authority to tell people how to live. I do not agree with any church hierarchy that dictates how we should live. But by authority for what I do should come from the words of Jesus himself. He is the true example of how to live by the laws that God has given us. He is the authority that can tell people how we please God. By what we say and what we do. That is the bottom line of this healing story from this point of view. Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, their religious leaders, that they had created laws, and in this case about the Sabbath, which were not biblical. He told the people to see the miracle of healing as a lesson on how they needed to live according to the Torah and not the religious authorities and leaders were preaching. 
Honestly, by doing this, you really upset the leadership. I would also say that if someone in leadership in my conference reads this, I will probably be getting a phone call, but that's okay. Question all religious authorities in any church today and force them to give you a good argument as to why you should not live the way Jesus tells us to in the Gospels as opposed to their, their rules. Well, God bless you for listening to this sermon. And as always, Shalom.